1: Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com.
0: From the nation's capital, this is the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast with your host, Rob Snowett.
2: This is the 11th year and 259th episode of the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast. This episode features Eduardo Garcia. Eduardo suffered a traumatic injury on October 9th, 2011, which resulted in him losing his left hand. He is also a cancer survivor. A trained chef and outdoorsman, Eduardo had to relearn skills and techniques with regards to cooking and angling with his newly changed life. Eduardo also owns a culinary product line named Montana Mex that you can find at your local Whole Foods. I'd never heard of Eduardo or his story until I tuned into the Today Show last December after I returned from my steelhead trip. I had to interview him. I had so many questions about his injury and life afterwards. When I'd spoken to my friend Ed Felker about interviewing Eduardo, he suggested that I watch his movie on Amazon Prime called Charged. Eduardo's name is familiar to a lot of people I've spoken to before and after recording this episode. In fact, Josh Mills met Eduardo a few years ago. If this is your first time hearing Eduardo's story, I hope you enjoy our conversation. You can watch his documentary on Amazon Prime, and I'll have links to this and other programs on iTunes and my blog. If you have Amazon Prime, you can also purchase Eduardo's products. This episode is brought to you by Eduardo's company, Montana Max. I'm a big fan of the Red Mild Chili Blend. You can add heat, smoky pepper flavor, and salt to anything you eat, and it doesn't change the consistency as if you were adding hot sauce. His Mild Pepper Red Shake has become a staple in pretty much everything I eat, and be sure to shake it while you dance. After you listen to this episode, you shouldn't have any excuses for not going fishing or getting outside and hanging out with friends and family. One more note before we start the interview. Be sure to use promo code FLYFISH15, that's the number 15, at montanamex.com to save 15% off your purchases through April 15th, 2020. I hope you all enjoy my interview with Chef Eduardo. All right, so we've got Eduardo Garcia on from Montana. Eduardo, thanks for joining the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast.
3: I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. So you're in Montana right now. If we're throwing a dart at Montana, where would we find you?
3: You'd find me in the very southwest kind of quadrant, if you will, sort of what's called the Yellowstone region in Bozeman, Montana.
2: And normally I'd ask my listeners what celebrity they most resemble, but you have a documentary on Amazon that everyone should watch called Charged, and they could see you there. I think you look like half Jig Gyllenhaal and a little bit of adrian greer
3: ah all right 50 50 i've gotten adrian grenier before for sure yeah i always told uh, his producer for entourage doug allen i I always told doug if you ever need a chef stunt double for Vinny, i'm in and i never got the call but i offered
2: let's talk about you're you're a big outdoorsman hunter angler extraordinaire cycling climbing but you had an accident a couple years back when you were hunting do you want to tell the story and sort of what happened afterwards to take us to where you are now?
3: Yeah, sure. Well, there's, there's a lot to take in. And so to be honest, I'll just preface it and Rob, you kind of already did, but you know, there is a documentary called charged uh, available anywhere. You, you know, you can download films for the most part um, that chronicles the better part of the story, but effectively I've been a chef in cooking um, since I was 15 years old. And I worked in the yachting industry as a private chef for about a decade and I realized that I was burning out on food. You know, I was like falling out of love with food, which was this powerful thing for me. And, and so I, I decided to leave the yachting industry and um, with uh, business partners, my family and my girlfriend at the time, we decided to start a Mexican food brand called Montana Mex. And, um, and we decided to also, Jenny and I decided to work, work or pitch a TV show about my interest in cooking in the outdoors. So in 2011, I come home after a decade of traveling the world's a yacht chef, and and I'm psyched to be at home. I'm fishing every day. I, I, I mean, let's see, my last yacht gig day was in Palm Beach, Florida in like April, so I was for sure home for the Mother's Day caddis Hatch, which I hadn't been home for in a decade, really, you know. So psyched to be home and had a really productive summer at home, kind of launching this food brand, organic uh, condiments, salsas. Guacamole, selling it to farmer's markets, and, and we were furthering this um, TV show concept called Active Ingredient as well, and it was the end of the fall. It was archery season, and I was out elk hunting, but uh, effectively, what happened was I, um, I, I'm elk hunting. I come across a metal can in four miles from my truck in the backcountry, and um, in this metal can, there's a tuft of black fur, a couple small bones, and I see some small claws. And as an outdoorsman, I don't even think more than a second before I pull a knife out off my hip. I put it in my left hand, and I think I take my backpack off. I set my bow down, and I'm just thinking, you know, I'm going to remove a claw and keep it for kind of a curiosities case at home. I, I was a Boy Scout, and I love kind of the younger generation being able to show them sort of the natural little curiosities as you find them. I I kneel down and put this knife down to in in this can to try and take a claw. And boom, I, you know, I I basically hear an incredible noise in my head and and blackout, you know, I just blackout. And the next thing I recall is I'm looking up at the sky and and somehow I go from that transition point to um, finding myself walking down this mountain and I end up getting help at a ranch house. And I met a back to Salt Lake City to the Burn Trauma Center at the University of Utah, and effectively, the doctor on call said, "And I quote, um, that I was a bag of bones with a heartbeat um, when I was rolled in." And I mean, go watch Charge for the details, and, and please do because it's so much more than just this, um, you know, sort of near-death experience. What happened is over the course of, yeah, over the course of the next, gosh eight years of my life has been this massive recovery, um, of just learning how to be an amputee. I lost my left hand in that injury. Um, I re- I was de- um, diagnosed in this in my ICU stay to have testicular cancer. So I've dealt with that and it's just been, yeah, it's just been a tremendous, tremendous nine years of, of kind of a rebirthing, if you will.
2: What was the voltage that electrocuted you? And is there something that that would be equivalent to
3: Uh, 2,400 volts. So, I mean, it was a, it was a main line headed to power a backcountry cabin, which, you know, that's a lot of power.
2: And did the bear just end up in there out of curiosity too? Uh,
3: who knows? You know, we, 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 I guess we, we won't know that. I don't know that. Wow.
2: And you have a twin brother.
3: I do have a twin brother. Yeah.
2: Did he feel anything where he was? Any pain, any distress? Uh
3: You know, yeah, it's a good question. I um, I don't think he did, but there was a time in our lives where he actually had a near-death injury, and and I remember feeling that. I was in Wyoming at a Boy Scout camp, and he was at home and got T-boned by a car going 60 miles an hour while crossing, like a country crossing um, where we lived. So that's interesting.
2: And have you realized that the world might not be built for... Two handed people, you know, I've seen the documentary about Andre the Giant and how nothing was built, he lived in a world that wasn't made for his size. Yeah, but is living with one hand? Are there a lot of things that do require two hands that we just take for granted?
3: Um, well, that, I mean, that's interesting because they're I'm trying to think about. It. There's very few things that I've found in the last nine years that I cannot do. So it, 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 what it boils down to is just relearning how you do what you do and, and re, kind of reimagining what your new normal looks like. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, how dexterous is your prosthetic? And is there like a make and model that or is it complete custom to you?
3: Well, no, this this prosthetic is completely custom to me.
2: Hmm. and with the dexterity fly fishing and being a chef how like small of a thing could you pick up or how delicate of something
3: let me see uh, let me make sure i get your question so is okay. is
2: it, is it de- like the how
3: fine how fine can i get with the tip of my hook yeah deli- okay so um... like
2: when you're fly fishing it looks like you're grabbing the fly line while the rod is in your right hand Right. So you could say a five weight line, you can grasp that.
3: Yeah. With my hook. Uh, absolutely.
2: That's remarkable.
3: Yeah. I mean, it, it's great. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's not, knots aren't as easy, but I've, I have figured it out. You know, the hardest part is like stripping, right? It, it, you know, it took me, I think it was, I kind of, I mean, to say I gave up is, is poor form of me, but there was when i when so i got when i got back to fly fishing within a year and a half of my injury you know i just had to re i had to figure out how to make it simple again you know it was almost like tankara fishing if you will i would just figure out how to get the line out and then leave it out and just bigger mens and 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 trying you know less stripping but it really kind of relegated me to nymphing and and, and staying on top and so it it was we were floating the jefferson um, Four years ago now, maybe. And it was just your classic, like, I think it was like an early fall day, maybe late summer. or you know, And um, it just looked like a streamer day, you know, it was starting to cool down. And, and I asked the guide, I said, hey, you know, do you, do you got a, a, a wet rig I can use? He says, sure. So he hands me hands streamer rod. And within maybe a couple casts, and probably shitty casts, right, I, I hook up with a brown. And for the rest of the day, I just work that streamer, and I catch browns all day long, and have a blast, just like whipping it underneath branches, getting it to the bank, um, and and just working it and figuring it out again. So yes, yeah, so it, it's been a progression, you know.
2: Are browns your thing?
3: No, no. Being outside's my thing. You know, fishing is. Uh, Fishing is, is hopefully what you're eating, you know, it's dinner primarily. And and also it's, um, sometimes I do say if I'm catch and release fishing or don't, you know, not taking a fish home with me that it's, um, it's, um, it's like practice for catch and keep, you know, um, a day out on the boat.
2: Now, this may be a gruesome question, but after such a traumatic burn injury, Mm mm-hmm does cooking over coals remind you and bring back because smells are a very important memory trigger is that kind of a gross question ask that if you when you're cooking does it remind you at all of your injury
3: oh um i think it goes the other way around no when i when no when i had my injury it was the other way around i was like being able to witness the interior parts of my muscles and bones and stru- and, and, and physical structure that I'd never had access to visibly or physically, you know, like even to just feel emotionally. I remember seeing my amputation for the first time um, with my, you know, naked eyes, no bandages on it. I was like, wow, look at that. Look at the marrow. I mean, it looks like a shank bone, you know, and because for me, butchering and, um, and, Um, working with animal and anatomy in the food space, I think think I've always just been comfortable around it. More curious than put off, I guess. True.
2: And what was the first thing you wanted to eat when you got out of the hospital? You had to have had some cravings, been stuck in there that long.
3: I have no idea. I know when I left the hospital, I I was just addicted to blue Gatorade and pumpkin pie. Yeah, I think it was more or less what I wanted to eat, but more what did I wanted to do, you know, which was like just rebuild, rebuild, get Being outside. A,
2: a foraging hunter, eating that hospital food must have also been not what your body's used to.
3: You know, you it, wanted
2: some real food after that.
3: I mean, no, I think I, I, I started to eat pretty well. As soon as my appetite came back, as soon as as soon as my appetite came back in the hospital, I just, you know, I had a family there. We had a full team. So we would, we actually got to know the Thai restaurant in town, Lotus Pad, that we liked so much. His name was Leon. The owner was Leon. And he put start, He personally was delivering it to our room at one point or out in the foyer. And we ended up becoming great clients of his for years on follow-up trips to Salt Lake. So, no, we, we, we celebrated food. And that's kind of what we do as a family. So as soon as my actual appetite came back after about three or four weeks, it just hit me. It was like, bam, I'm hungry. And, and you know, family and folks, we brought it in.
2: How much of what you do eat comes locally? And then I have a gardening question too. Any secrets for growing peppers?
3: Uh-huh. First off, um, we take so much great joy, like total stoke and psych when, when we have the ability to be, t- what is it? It's almost like to strategically get something to grow in the garden or when Becca, my wife Becca, she has four beehives. So when she spins honey off the frames uh, at the before the winter, and and so then we'll be in our home, and and it's it's a hell of a good time to to try and come up with a meal or a drink or a dish that is a hundred percent harvested and brought into our home with our hands or, or with our you know with a trade through a friend that grew it, and I don't know, and and, and so. But it's a simple pleasure, right? It's, it's just because we love food, it, it makes us feel good. and It makes us happy. So I'd say that more than maybe half of what we eat, you know, at least in the winter and maybe even up to 70% of what we eat comes from what we hunt or grow. That's fantastic.
2: We're big gardeners here. We just got our first tomato sprouts from our seeds this week.
3: Yeah. Nice. Those
2: aren't going until after Mother's Day. So they should be nice and big.
3: Ah, nice good for you
2: yeah i've got a plumeria right in front of me and then i've got a passion fruit the passion fruit doesn't want to fruit at
3: all though i've heard about those i wanted to grow a passion fruit
1: hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain your feet are carrying the load without the right boots you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge at midway usa we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com.
3: Huh. We don't, so you asked about peppers, you know, most of our garden, we have a, we have what we call a food forest here, and it's 70% of it's perennials, so... But we're just kind of starting to dabble in annuals, and we haven't had great success with peppers, to be honest. So we're still on that one. So I can't give you much there.
2: So I was about to say that with regard to peppers, now that I'm using the the red Mex Montana powder, I'm not using Australian chicken salt anymore as my condiment of choice on our kitchen counter.
3: Nice. The the mild red chili Montana Mex seasoning. That's four different dry red chilies, um, sea salt. I love that you're using that.
2: I can't use the green one because there's cilantro in it, and I don't know how strong the cilantro is and I'm that person.
3: Oh, you know what? I would say that cilantro is like two percent of okay. the rest of the blend. I would know. Um and um and it's mostly it's going to be the spice of jalapeno along with the vegetableness of jalapeno. Does that make sense? Like the peppery, you know, ness of the the flesh. Mm-hmm. So you're going to get that, and then we have two different um, garlic blends in there. So you're going to get the garlic, and then there's a little bit of Mexican oregano, cilantro. So you saw. Okay. So the cilantro is okay. minimum.
2: Honestly, the only time I was kind of like, Ugh, watching the documentary was when you were chopping the cilantro with this giant mound. The people on the podcast know for years that I've got an aversion that's funny yeah all right so you're in southwest Montana what are your home waters that you're most often going to fish and then what are you going to do a like a day trip or make an excursion to fish with all that just amazing water you don't need to name anything specific if you don't want a hot spot
3: <laughs> I more often than not I like to fish what's local to Bozeman you know It's uh, it's, you know, within I would and I would call local within 70 miles of of here, 80 miles. Right. And if I'm going to um, and and I do that because I just feel there's so much water here, as you just mentioned. I agree. And um, gosh, you could spend a lifetime trying to chase every tributary, every uh, tailwater, you know, um, every little every little puddle. You know, I have a friend who. You know, selected a mountain range, and he, he's just like every summer I'm just going to try and knock a new lake off the list, and so that's his jam, you know. But if I if I was going to travel to go fish, you know, I really I, I've been enjoying saltwater fishing, you know, um, and and it's that stripping thing, right? It's been nice to kind of figure out how to double haul with a prosthetic, right? And um, you know, and that's been that's been fun. So if I'm going to travel, which is you know not often, but you know maybe. Uh, once a year, if I'm really, really lucky, in the last five years, I'd try to go saltwater fishing, probably.
2: And you are a nympher, so are you? You like a match the hatch guy? You doing the new European stuff since you're mostly uh, nymphing?
3: Well, I, I wouldn't say I'm mostly nymphing. I, I'd say, say now I, I just fish whatever they're biting on. You know, whatever whatever is going to work is what I'm fishing these days. I I actually I, I like it. nymphing's productive. You know, you can, I love eating whitefish, Rocky Mountain whitefish are delicious when they're, you, 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 you got them, you scale them. And then just like you would treat a snapper, um, like a small snapper, you can score it. And then I salt the cavity and, and the score marks and, and fry it whole. And then I take tomatoes and avocado with that green Montana Mex one, the spicy green Montana Mex one and make a quick salsa and gosh, they eat so well. So nymphing can be productive and a lot of fun. Do you have any favorite hatches out there? You said the Mother's Day caddis hatch. Yeah, that I mean that I think that's always just phenomenal to see a river in a you know it's just just it, the noise it makes. It's like a cacophony of eating fish at times, right? It's just the whole river's alive with mouths and tails, and that's that's insane. It's been a, I think I probably only had it once. Incredible when I was. I don't know, in my early twenties and, and and I was wet waiting. So I just, I think I probably just jumped out of work, jumped out of my car and tucked my jeans into my socks to keep bugs from crawling up my, up my jeans and tried to nestle inside my t-shirt and ah, it was thick and amazing. Um, But then of course you could have a yellow Sally hatch and, those are such delicate little dry flies. It's so fun, you know, especially to sometimes fish big water with a tiny fly and just see how far and where you can get to with it. And um, But watching a yellow sally just disintegrate into a bear hook and, and then nothing takes it anymore. And so you finally put a new one on, you know, like those, those kinds of hatches, I think, um, are just, those are burned in my memory forever.
2: And when you were from your youth until when you returned from... Traveling the world as a chef. Did Montana change a lot? Any of those hatches different? More housing. Did you seem different when you returned?
3: You know, ten years ago, I would say in 2011, it was growing, for sure. It's really in the last ten years, or in the last nine, that I've been home, and maybe you know that I really feel this part of the world has has really started to grow, and 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 you know, little holes or, you know, kind of dodgy back road, you know, boat ramps or, you know, fenced up or, but for the most part, you know, and, and, and here's the other thing, you know, is, is it's tough to say and I want to make sure to not try and leave a, um, oh yeah, development's been crazy because I mean, you don't have to look far to know that, you know, Bozeman Montana's flying right now in terms of its development, I'd also say that what I'm seeing is 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 the climate of the water itself, you know, the health of the, the ecosystem of the fisheries and the habitat is probably the most alarming thing, you know, just which then creates real socioeconomic disruption. And so that's what I notice is the is maybe the health of the water has changed because of a variety of reasons, whether it's climate and usage and population and you know, and so that's what I probably noticed more of that when I was a kid. I just maybe just didn't, I was ignorant to, or maybe it was just not happening as much.
2: Has the weather changed much? I know you all are getting some cold right now.
3: Well, yeah. I mean, this year, last year was a solid Montana winter year, you know, five months of just snow. This year so far, it's been pretty mild. Uh, having said that, there's a winter storm. Advisory happening right now and predicting, I think, 12 inches plus in the next 24 hours. So it feels like winter now outside.
2: We don't get much winter anymore out here in the mid-Atlantic.
3: Mm. Just
2: it's gone. Maybe it's skipping a couple of years. I don't know. I think it does
3: that. I think I think there's there's cycles to everything. But, you know, I, I, I think it's, uh, I don't know. I think it's also pretty obvious. There's a lot of obvious indicators, you know, of what to expect.
2: I was a kid. The Robins used to migrate. Now they're all over the place in winter. It's it's comfortable for them now. It's not too cold. Right. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So also with the travel around the world, you got to see some pretty amazing stuff. Have you wanted to return to any of those to go fishing?
3: Yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah, a hundred percent. I've I've wanted to and I've started to slowly explore um, parts of the Caribbean that um, I just thought looked beautiful. And then, yeah, I'd love to, um, I would love to make it, um, down to some, some other continents, you know, I'd like to go fish in South Africa and I'd like to go fish in Japan and just kind of do some more experiential cultural trips as well that, you know, with fishing being a part of it.
2: Mix in some (laughs) of the culinary hotspots as well.
3: A hundred percent. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. No, you couldn't see That's the thing, you know, and that's, it's funny that um did did you watch the Hungry Life series that we produced with Yeti? I did not. So, so um Jenny Jane, who who is one of my ex girlfriend and business partner in in the Montana Mex concept as well, you know, and I talked about that we went earlier in this podcast, I, I mentioned that we were also gonna develop an outdoor cooking show. And so we ended up at, finally it's it's kind of bittersweet, but we had a meeting with the Food Network to sell that show, and that meeting was five days after October 9th. So we were in ICU and didn't make that meeting. So in 2016, um, Yeti Coolers partnered with us, with Jenny and I, to create a short cooking series called A Hungry Life. And if you go check it out, you can YouTube it or find it on Yeti. Two of those episodes are fly fishing episodes. And the premise of The Hungry Life was that these enjoyable parts of my life, fishing being one of them, food being another one should go hand in hand. And and so at some point we developed a show about going out on your adventure, but incorporating food into your day out. So you may not actually be fishing for, you know, the whole time you're on the water because you may pull off early to start a fire and throw some potatoes in the coals and get, you know, get a grill set up or get a, get a hot stone set up or, and get a trout and lay it right on the coals and cook it and warm some tortillas up and make a quick taco and have that be an extension of your experience out fishing. Right. And so for me, when you, when you ask about the culinary element, you know, in, in fishing adventures, that's, it's, it's, um, it's such a, a part of traveling and life experience that I'm super passionate about to the point of, you know, wanting to share it through film and storytelling.
2: If you can get to England, there are just pheasants just sitting on the riverbanks. Really? Just in the middle of nowhere.
3: When are we going? All over.
2: I'm ready to go back. I was just chatting with my guide, Andy, from the Cotswolds the other day.
3: Right. Well, you know, I, you know, I'm going to say this to my wife, Becca Skinner, if you're listening, you know it's uh let's let's talk to let's talk to orvis and let's get a trip going over there my, my wife is a primary photographer for orvis and oh, so I would, i've been I'm following always- her for years oh you have
2: right and i just so honestly <laughs> i didn't put together who you were until you were on the today show around christmas uh-huh and then i saw the photos it said becca's photos provided by becca skinner and i'm like wait a second uh-huh. and then i looked i'm like wait i know who you are now and, and but I didn't know about the injury. I never really I saw that. pictures of you, but I've worked with Project Healing Waters and amputees and maybe to me, seeing somebody it' a little different, I'm not going to really just go out of my way to see what
3: that injury was. Yeah, no, I love that. That's, well, two things. I mean, I love that you had the connectivity with Becca Skinner's work. So, and check it out, folks, at Becca Skinner's, her portfolio on Instagram and She's amazing, and, what's, and I want to share this. This is fun, actually, to have the opportunity to say this on this podcast, but that's how I met my wife is I was, oh, this is great. I love this. I love how these things are unplanned, but I was, you know, 10 p.m. rolling through Instagram trying to, like, settle down at home, and, and I see a photo in my feed, and it's a green grassy riverbank, or what I think is a riverbank, a bottle of bourbon, and a fly fishing rod. Just this beautiful photo, right? And I'm like, oh, what's that? Like, and I go into the profile, and the profile is of Becca Skinner, photographer, conservationist, Nat Geo explorer. I'm like, whoa. And, and I look through her work and portfolio, and it's – a lot of it is fly fishing. Uh, a lot of it is women in the outdoors and in fly fishing and, and mountaineering and, and um, being outside – and I was raised in a matriarchal home. And so, um, you know, I didn't know my dad till I was 13. So I was just so drawn to her work that I went to the website and I, I mean, I just dove in, right? And at 2 a.m., get this, 2 a.m., I write her an email that basically just says, Hey, I'm into building, people. you know, hi, I'm Eduardo. I came across your work, love it. We all, I also love fly fishing. Maybe we get together and fish. I love building community and I think your work's terrific and you happen to live in Bozeman. So, and that was how we met, you know, we went on, we went fly fishing. That's incredible.
2: (laughs) Right. And Uh, then, yeah. And it's also cool. You have someone to take pictures of you too. My wife doesn't take pictures. So there's no evidence of anything in my life.
3: Well, let me let me just tell you, you she does take amazing pictures and and I am fortunate that um, I am super, super fortunate in that sense. But I'll tell you more often than not, if we're on the river, I like to row and this is a dream day for me. I'll row and she'll be up on the bow and cowgirl hat on and our dog Vita will be on the cooler right between the two of us, you know, putting my legs against it like my rowing brace, you know. And we'll, and we'll roll, and I'll take photos of her catching fish. I love It's
2: in the, to her in the cooler? Around. My wife likes high life when we're in
3: the boat. Oh, man, I'm putting Modelo cans in the boat, probably a little, some fresh lime, um, some fresh lime and a, a little flask of tequila, probably, and then we're probably going to put on top of that some elk jerky, some veggies, some fruit, and, uh, you know, plenty of water. I want to see a photo of all that spread. Damn. Um, And
2: also, and I want to give a shout out to my friend, Ed Felker. He's a big fan of your wife's. And when she was in town at national geographic, which is not far, I asked if we could get together and do a podcast and she was a little shy about it. Said she wasn't into, didn't know if she could handle a whole fishing podcast. So maybe we could do a, if I ever meet up with both of you sometime out West, we'll get both of you on. Or if you're ever in DC.
3: looks like Rob just invited you again. Just throwing that out there.
2: And then the photos of living out of, is it a van or a truck? Those were the ones that really made me want to move out west.
3: Wow. I love hearing that. Uh, happy the truck. That was a yellow a yellow Chevy that she used to have.
2: With the, the one with her painting the trout on the inside.
3: Yeah. No, she had that thing. <laughs> that was, uh, yeah that was Becca was rocking that ride happy the truck when we met and um, the interior had this um, it was built out with a bed and, and a pullout right so it had storage and it was just rigged for adventure and she had the beautiful rainbow trout she had painted on the side of uh, one of her like um, bed compartments
2: that's awesome my wife's gotten soft when it comes to the outdoors and sleeping outdoors she won't sleep in the Xterra. she didn't want to sleep in a barn at a healing waters tournament last year either
3: you know I, I no judgment man i i i I love it out there for sure, but i mean what do you, what do you do? It's like when you're a chef and someone doesn't because does they that they have not an allergy let's say, but a dislike of an ingredient or you know I don't like tomatoes or, um all you can do is is just say, yeah, no problem and and try and learn about it and try and you know respect it or you know propose are you open to an interpretation of your past experience if they say yes and you have the opportunity to try and get tomatoes in front of them another time or being outside and you know and i've learned that a lot you know becca and i are talking about kids and i'm thinking okay so how do i bring my you know how do i how do i you know try and encourage my kids to love the outdoors like i do and all of these other pursuits while still letting them follow their own north star you know yeah it's an interesting one to think about
2: we're always get, trying to get our kid outside. Oh, yeah. She yeah. went guiding with me to help because I had a client the same age as her last Sunday. Mm. So she was helping out a little bit. It was pretty cool. Nice. That was the uh, the sewage outflow, which you probably don't have any experience fishing those with all the water you have. No. Yeah. The water that comes out of the, the water treatment plant that feeds into the Potomac. Mm-hmm. It's not the prettiest spot, but you can fish it year round. And in the wintertime when everything's cold and shut down, that's the fishery. Really? Yeah. So she wanted to hang out. Yeah. And she's learning to row the drift boat too.
3: Oh, there you go. I love it. I love it. So do you ever have any
2: fun with your injury? I'm thinking of there's a guy who dresses up every year for Halloween. He's got one leg. Do you ever have like a fake hand and then people shake it and it comes off, kind of jokes with it? Do you have a good sense of humor about having an injury?
3: Yes. A very good sense of humor about having an injury. I love giving people a hand by literally handing them <laughs> a hand. When when we were in ICU, kudos to Jen and and to all the caregivers out there, right? Like to to any of you who have been there for someone just like selflessly. Right. And, and so, but Jen and then also my sister, both, you know, they were just huge proponents that we got to laugh our way through this. Like we are just going to have to laugh our way through this shitty experience. You know,
2: when you're at REI, do you lift up the gloves and say, um, you know, are these half off?
3: Uh, no, I directly call the company. And, and, and totally struck a deal. This was like five years ago, with the company just to send me rights, because what do you do with all the lefts? Right? Yeah. Yeah.
2: I had a glove catch on fire, lighting a stove camping a couple years ago. So I threw the other one on eBay. Just why not? Maybe someone's missing the same glove or maybe somebody I, doesn't need the other glove. Sold a mountain hardware glove for three bucks. Good job. Yeah. It could have been you. If it was a right black mountain hardware glove. <laughs>
3: Oh you, well, listen. So um, my friend Rick Montejano is an incredible fisherman, and, and so fun to be with on the water. And as well as my, my buddy Chef Ranga Pereira. And when the three of us go out, and uh, it's so Rick. It's like so Rick has always been like very supportive of me. And when I I lost my hand and had my injury and and the conundrum you and I were just discussing, which is, what are you going to do with all those left gloves? So I get a package in the mail from Rick Montejano, and uh, it's like, with love, from Rick. And it's all of these rights. And I guess for him, he wears through his lefts quicker than his rights for whatever reason. Maybe he's left-handed, I don't know. And so he sent me, I don't know, three different, and they were all like fingerless mitts, like total fly fishing stuff, right? So, yeah, I don't know. It's fun. It's, it's You can have fun with it. You just have
2: to own it. And having a sense of humor is kind of the only way you can – you can't – I mean, the spirit you have and the smile that's throughout that entire movie, and I don't know if it's because all the coffee you drink, uh, but you never seem to be down.
3: Well. Or at least not
2: show it for the camera, but the being able to joke about it sort of, yeah, you know, like you said, owning it and – not feeling sorry for yourself, or somebody might just sit around and just think that their life's ruined because they've got an injury and you just took life by the balls.
3: Well, thanks. And I guess here, here, here's the thing. And I, um, is, it's all about perspective for me. And so if I'm able to find goodness in 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 my life's experience then you know things as disruptive and and painful and you know near fatal like my injury you know there's always an opportunity to just find find something good in it you know and to purpose that experience towards wherever you're going and so I I think that's that's kind of my outlook on it you know
2: the healing powers that, that fly fishing has, do you find different sports that you're involved in? Because I really only fly fish. I don't do pretty much anything else. Do others yeah. heal you mentally, physically in other ways? there, you know, If you're feeling maybe sad one day, you're like, I got to go do cl- one sport because that's the one that cheers me up and mm. maybe another one gives mm. you hope, I, I, for example.
3: Yeah, I, I don't know. There may, um, there may not be a direct, like a heavy correlation like that. Um, there's, oh gosh, I think, I think just the, when, when I, when I'm able to unplug and really put myself into the pursuit of, of, of of something I, I enjoy deeply, like, like fishing or like hiking or surfing or any of the above, uh, they're almost at equal scale. However, with fishing, it's just going to have a, its own proprietary feeling and emotion that no, no other sense of joy, you know, like no other activity gives me. And and maybe it's because, you know, I grew up fishing with my, my twin brother, Eugenio. Maybe it's because, you know, my dad is a third... And I'm a fourth generation fisherman from Mexico, and and, and 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 you know I've been floating down the Yellowstone River since I was eight years old, and um, so my, my sense of fishing is so deeply rooted in who I am. But it's yeah, does that make sense? It has its own place. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Do you have any adaptations on the prosthetic for fishing, like like a line cutters to cut your line? Like, can you? Mm. Is it modular? I know there's a hammer sort of thing underneath it, but can you put anything on it yeah, for different sports? It.
3: Yeah, to a point. So the, 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 If you look at a, my at least my prosthetic, the, the portion of the prosthetic that covers my forearm is made of carbon fiber, and it's called the socket. And, and then the piece that you, we would refer to as the hook or the hand is called the terminal device. And basically, there's there's catalogs of different terminal devices that I could put into my socket, right? And and yet I've never had to venture past the hook and my functioning right hand to do what I need to do in fishing. So I've talked, to, I've thought about it. You know, my friend Oliver White and I um, were on a fishing trip. Um, on actually um, the, the, the show Hungry Life I mentioned um, that we produced with Yeti, it was Oliver White and Hillary Hutchinson and I were fishing the production crew to do that, that Yeti episode.
1: And that was the
2: one down in New Orleans. The
1: 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Down in
3: Yucatan. Down in Yucatan. Yucatan, okay.
2: The I'm going to watch this tomorrow.
3: Yeah, you got to watch it. The one, We didn't go to New Orleans. We went to um, like the Port Aransas, um, Laguna Madre area of Texas. With, that was with JT Van Zant redfish but that's the one i'm thinking of yeah that's what you're thinking of Not Louisiana. but the, the one in yucatan you know i remember oliver white coming up to me at night you know having a beer and back at the lodge and, and and we were we were riffing on it you know oh man you could you know you could get a hook and have it have some kind of a guide that the line can run through where it only pinches when you pull down because we're talking about how to how how, how to open and close my hook quick enough to double haul and, and line management but I'm not figuring out with this hook, you know, so I haven't had to reinvent any new tools just yet other than how I think about how I, how I think of things, you know, like,
2: have you found anything in life that's actually easier to do with the hook?
3: Yeah. for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I can, I can hold my phone all day long and my hand will never get tired and I don't need a glove on it to keep it warm.
2: Pulling and, hot pans off the,
3: I, the yeah. There's un, I mean, there's unlimited. There's unlimited sort of. It's funny. We we want to call them perks, right? But it's actually not a perk or a benefit. It's it's a, actually just what that hand can do. Think of it that way, right? It's just the limits or lack of limits of my left hand now, and so it's it's on. It's, I mean, it, it's crazy to think about, right? Like on the one hand, which is my right hand, it. Can do all the most fallible human things, and on my left hand, which is made of titanium and rubber, I can pull hot pans out of the fire, and you know I can chip ice away and use it as a hammer and a little bit of a mallet, and the, so in a vice, and the list goes on. But gosh, there's just no. Um, um, I was my neighbors came over the other day, and they just had they had a six week old, and I was holding little with little Bay Boy, and and easy enough to hold him with my right arm. But then I was trying to hold this pacifier with my hook. And, you know, I was, like, very conscious of putting my, you know, bringing my hook in close to this little baby's face. And, like, you know, so it's, there's these considerations with having metal for a hand. <laughs> right?
2: Can you st- feel the the phantom, the term where you can still feel your fingers?
3: Uh, phantom limb syndrome is, I think, is, is yeah. what i I had it briefly when I was in ICU very in, in kind of immediately after um, my amputation but um, and, and actually and then I had it didn't feel it for, for quite some time but in just this last year I've started to have more sensation in my um, in my amputation site like right on my forearm the nerves waking up after years of I don't, and maybe. It, it totally could be. Uh, I don't know what it is. And sometimes it's a little, um, what I would call, irritating. But thankfully, um, it's manageable. It's amazing how this has just
2: not stopped you. in Doing more things that people with no injuries in their life would ever have the guts to do. And in the end of the movie, you're talking to a bunch of kids how often are you getting out and telling your story in public
3: every day i walk away from my house and you know i mean it it's it's like every I, every time i step out in outside of the privacy of my home is an opportunity to have a, a youngster or you know you can you know what is that to his mom at a grocery store line and i can choose to ignore and be like, oh, another person talking about my hook. Or I can turn around and smile and say hi. You mean this? And nine times out of ten, that kid's gonna say, yeah, that. You know, and and I get a quick exchange. And now you've got this young individual coming out in the world. And like, wow, okay, that was a hand called a prosthetic. And um, and so there's that opportunity. Just is, is incredible every day. You know, um, but you know, on on a big scale. You know the documentary charge, the the catalyst, and for me to say yes because I, you know, I had friends and family, and um, you know my my agent at the time, you know, all write a book and t- make a documentary, and I I was so scared of sharing my who I was now, you know, then with the world that I, I decided not to, and and then it was three years gone, went by, and I actually was I spent a day at the National Ability Center in Park City, Utah. And I was so impressed by these young individuals and their resiliency and their ability to just own their situation that um, I, I, I kind of started to find my why that day. And on my way to the airport to fly home, I swung through the burn trauma center and called ahead of time and said, hey, you know, do you think I could swing by? I haven't seen everyone in a few years. When I got there, it was just you know, maybe a handful of nurses who had been on my, on my floor, who had been, you know, been in the burn trauma while I was there. And I mean, there was not a dry eye in the room for sure. It was awesome to see them. And um, Dr. Morris, who is the, the doctor who was on call um, when I was wheeled in and effectively was part of the team that saved my life. He, he came right up to me and and just really hugged and um, and immediately like lifted my shirt up. He wanted to see how my scars had healed and and he and 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 you know after a couple of minutes of being with everybody he had to go and he gave me another hug and he directly said in my ear he said it feels so good to see you again. You need to come out here more often. And you know what I took it as was you know like I had recovered from something that most would find or most would not have recovered from, is what he was saying. And whatever the reasons were, I needed to share that it was possible to, for that to happen. And I had an obligation, like not an obligation, but it just why would you not share that with others to help others? And boom, I was like, okay, that, that's, 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 that's why I'm going to, that's my why for charged. That's, that's the reason. And, and that was in, in Jen and Phil, um, my friend, who's the director, the entire executive team, uh, and the production team, it became everyone's why for this film was, um, you know, this is why we're making charge just so that it can go out and help others. And so now, you know, your question was how often am I, you know, speaking and uh, as often as I can in every moment that I can.
2: As, You've turned into a role model. Are there people that you look up to? And when you were getting through the initial injury, that people that you looked at for influence to help you get through things?
3: Yeah, uh, 100%. Too many to name. And um, I mean, I looked up to everybody. I mean, I, I, I literally, I, I remember being shit scared coming out of ICU. You know, I, I literally, and so much of me was, kind of a freshly born babe in that sense. And I I don't know where I would start, you know, from my close family to, um, close friends. And, and, you know, I think, you know, there were folks from around the world sending thoughts and prayers and funds and assistance. And then, you know, for years, I I feel like so many who have been, been a part of this journey are right here with me still, um, seeing, you know, looking at that bigger picture and, 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 you know, and it's my pleasure to, to just do my best to give it back or, or try right wherever I can. Do
2: people ever compare you to Aaron Ralston having a similar injury after an outdoors event?
3: No, no. Aaron's um, story for those who who haven't heard it you know he yeah, he 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 gave he amputated his own hand to save his life so i i mean i more more folks have mentioned aaron and his name and story as it's similar to mine and in like a supportive way like gosh both of you you know the stories are incredible and so inspiring or so lifting or raw and, and honest and and so it's it's been and I remember watching that story, right? I remember watching that story while dealing with my own experience. So um, I've been a big fan for a long time.
2: Is there a, a fishing organization that has members with amputations? Where you go out with other anglers with similar?
3: Mm. The like the the one in, the one here locally is gonna be Warriors Quiet Waters. Um, I. Personally, am not connected or actively connected with a fishing organization that specifically focuses on, with folks for, with folks that have disabilities. But in a in a broader sense, I guess um, the Challenge Athletes Foundation is an organization that I am very active with. Um, out of San Diego, they incredible impre- incredible nonprofit that basically uh, awards. Not only grants to those in need for adaptive sport medicine. So, in other words, they—they, they, you know, the, the Challenge Athletes Foundation helped me receive a grant that I was able to get a rowing hand, so that I could row my drift boat safely and so it's through that organization that I really try to give back to the disability community um and if it however if it weren't for lack of time right now you know I, there would be nothing stopping me from being 100% active with folks who are trying to figure out how to get back on the water and figure it out
2: and we're in early february right now what's the rest of your year look like do you have any travel plans somewhere anything down the road tours for speaking engagements
3: well, um, it's a great question. More, more front and center for 2020 is the work with Montana Max. To be honest, you know we're we're having a, a terrific we're having just a terrific terrific time looking at our business and just say, and trying to branch our community out and and really partner with other brands um, in the upcoming years that, um, you know, Warriors in Quiet waters is a a great example or the Challenge Athletes Foundation, you know, they're our charity partner. And so, you know, really in 2020, our mission is just solidifying our community and kind of make in really figuring out how to optimize our business so that we can be the best part of of our community coast to coast in the United States, for sure, as a starting point. So that's exciting. It's exciting to see growth happen for goodness. Right. And really believe that what we're doing and um, with Charged with Montana Max is a part of a greater good, not just bringing, you know, what I think is a super tasty organic ketchup with no preservatives in it to your door, but but also being a part of a greater good. And and who knows, Rob, Yeah, I may just fly fish Japan this year because committed to take a honeymoon as I got married last July. And uh, Becca Skinner and I are looking at Japan. So I may just get that 10 car out.
2: Watch out for bears on the North Island. Yes, sir. All right. Will do. So some random questions. Uh, what's the best sandwich in your neck of the woods in Montana?
3: Oh, easy. Well, it's not easy, actually. It's going to be. Yep, I know what it is. It's going to be a brisket sandwich at Follow Your Nose Barbecue in Emigrant, Montana. On the river two minutes after you picked it up. Stone's throw from the river. Yep.
2: Now with all the world travel, where's the best sandwich if you're going to be traveling around the world on a yacht? Besides the ones you would make in your kitchen, which must have been tough cooking in a boat kitchen.
3: Oh, I know exactly where I'd want to go for a sandwich if I was on a yacht. I would want to be in Ixtapa, Mexico. And I would want to be on an early morning surf adventure and going south of Zihuatanejo about an hour to a little market and getting a torta for breakfast on my way to a surfing break with a spear fishing gun and a fly rod in hand. That's what I'd be wanting to do.
2: It sounds like a commercial right now. Nah. For just Dreams. great life. Uh, what's something you won't eat?
3: I'll let you know. I guess, ha yeah, haven't found it yet. Bro, who knows? Interesting.
2: What's your favorite Montana wildflower?
3: Hmm. Probably lupin. Probably lupin or shooting stars. You can eat those. What do they taste like? Flower shooting stars, vegetal, huh. sometimes slightly sweet. Usually you find them when hiking. Maybe a wild onion blossom. Maybe my favorite flower. What do you call the ends of a loaf of bread?
2: Hmm. I've heard yeah. people use different. Is there a culinary term?
3: Oh, I mean opportunity, French toast, Christini. But no
2: funny names for them. Not that I know of. Okay, I've been okay. told they're they could be called ears or heels.
3: Oh yeah, for sure. okay, see. So, yeah, I mean, as like in in you know, make sure the heels are square. We want those heels to be. Square. Yeah, you could. I could see that.
2: Okay. Do you have any irrational phobias? Um, Something that Becca would make fun of you for having?
3: Phobia. Oh, yeah. I don't think so.
2: Do you have a favorite Arnold Schwarzenegger movie? <laughs> Preferably from the, the early to mid-80s?
3: You know, I was raised without a TV, so Terminator is going to be probably the only one I could even name. I, I can't recall another early Arnold movie from, you know, the 90s or late 80s or, yeah.
2: Well, that should feed into my next question, which is what's a book everyone should read?
3: Mm. What is a book that everyone should read? Everyone should read a book by Andrew Dornenberg and Karen Page, and it's called Culinary Artistry. And keep it on your kitchen counter and have it be. It's just a solid... It's a solid way for the curious, you know, omnivore to pair salty and sweet pairings, certain ingredients and see what, you know, it's just a complete encyclopedia of flavors and taste pairings plus seasonality and and is digestible. You don't have to be a chef. It's not telling you to cook anything, right? It's just saying that chocolate and orange go well together and, and things like that, right?
2: All right. For toilet paper, do you want it over or under the roll?
3: Um, Ooh, you know, I got to tell you, I just, I pull from the right, you know, my toilet paper roll holder is an elk head with an antler. And so it actually is a lateral pole versus a longitudinal pole. So got from the sharp
2: palm, antlers near your back. What if you fall backing into the toilet in the dark,
3: gosh, man, I worked on a boat for 10 years, okay. walk around and you know, no problem.
2: Do you have a favorite cheese?
3: Yes. I would say it would have to be currently Comté. You grating
2: that, shaving it, you doing little cubes? Oh
3: no, I, I'm like I'm like dessert binge eating it at 10 p.m. when I'm crushing some late emails and maybe you know having a glass of wine, chilling out, and I just cut the thick chunks of it and little, maybe a few little truffle honey. Oh man, now you're talking. Yeah. Yep.
2: All right. Since you're the ketchup expert, uh, ketchup. Or mustard on hot dogs?
3: Well, it depends. If you have Montana Mex ketchup, then nothing. If you don't have Montana Mex ketchup, you may need the mustard to really bring it up a notch.
2: And then something we argue about in our house is, I grew up never refrigerating ketchup. And you never see it in refrigerators at the diner. My wife likes it refrigerated. What is Mm -hmm. your professional, and I will... Buy that is my next foray into the Montana Max when I go to Whole Foods. There's no Whole Foods around here.
3: That's the problem. Give me an address, Rob. I'll just send you some.
2: Oh, heck now, yeah.
3: For everyone else, you can go to montanamex.com. We should have created a code for you. Maybe we can set that up.
2: We can do that. This the will flag- be the yes. sponsored by Montana Max episode.
3: Done. All Which right. People we'll have already out. heard the intro. Yeah, we'll figure everyone out. So ketchup, you know, it's, here's the funny thing with food is, right, is live cultured foods, foods that are alive, foods that are growing, they can live at ambient room temperature and they even get better, right? They get more complex, the flavors develop, the sugars develop, and it's it's even better for your gut. So across the board, it's cooler, sauerkrauts, you know, sourdough starters, kombuchas, things like that. Um, But ketchup, I think when, if you're buying, you know, just sort of a commodity ketchup, you're... I want to refrigerate it. If it's stuff that doesn't need to be refrigerated for me is like, and if it's not alive, then I, I'm, I'm questioning, you know? So with my Montana mix ketchup, I open it and I put it in the fridge when I'm done.
2: All right. Mm-hmm. And my last question for you is what is your most played album?
3: My most played album. Dang. In my twenties or now?
2: I've seen anytime. Twenties was probably punk.
3: <laughs> not for me. Um, I, oh gosh, man, this is a good question. I, I would have
2: taken you for like skateboarding, <laughs> surfing, LA punk music.
3: No, well, I was all in my twenties. I was all Jack Johnson, Ben Harper. And then in my teens, it was all classic rock. And now it's a lot of country plus those other genres. Um, but I, you, I listened I'd listen to a lot of classical and a lot of mu- like musicals, music that kind of chills my brain out. So I, I don't know if I could pick an album, though. Dang. I feel like I'm letting you down on your last question. You may need to give me another one.
2: If you could go back in time to fish with a famous person that's no longer alive, that was known for fishing, who would you choose?
3: I'd go fish with my dad. Yeah. Dad passed away uh, November 25th, like two and a quarter years ago. And it was our favorite thing to do with each other. That's pretty cool. I'd I'd go fish with him. That's special. Better than album. That was good.
2: All right. Well, thank you for sharing your life after a trauma and you're just doing more than most people would do. And I want to say mundane lives around here. You get more done on a daily basis probably than most people. And it's it's pretty cool. I'm glad I wish I'd found you earlier. and could have been following your story longer, but I'm glad I came across you oh, about two months ago.
3: Likewise, Rob. I appreciate it. And, you know, listen, I'm super grateful to be included on here, you know, and for anyone who took time to listen, it, what do we have if we don't have each other? You know, if, if we if we can't become a mirror for each other you know we really don't know who we are so to everyone out there and anyone that goes and um you know check out what I what we're up to with Montana Mex and check out what we're up to with Charged and um if we can ever do anything for you listening you know you, you have a a buddy who's suffering from something because he has a disability hit me up you know if you got a food question hit me up get a hold of Montana Mex and let us know and, and it just makes this whole thing so much sweeter. So I'm grateful to be here. Thank you so much, Rob. I appreciate it and everyone's listening.
2: You coming out to DC anytime soon?
3: I should, I should. That's my, you know, I wasn't raised on much and my mom. Um, she made a point to make sure that we got to travel. And when we were kids, we went to DC. And since I've been quite a few times and it's such a beautiful place. Um, and in regards to just the the, the there's, it's so rich you know, there's so much to do in the city and there's so much to experience and it has such a legacy. It's uh, it's got its own vibe, you know, and it's powerful. It's pretty cool. All
2: right. Well, thank
0: you so much. Thanks, Rob. Thank you for joining us for the fly fishing consultant podcast. For more information or to contact Rob, please go to www.robsnowwhite.com.
1: This podcast is brought to you by Freestone Productions at freestoneproductions.com. Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern, presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV. A life that has the stories to back it, a life to be proud of, It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby, 6'8 Western. I'll be over there, baby, right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. (laughs) Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue, brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors. Every Monday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor
0: entertainment.